Amen. Young people, you may go. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1 this morning. Let's remember one another. A lot of sickness this week. Some COVID, others with other issues. Let's remember them in prayer and uh, hold each other up before the Lord. Numbers chapter 1. And mentioned today that choir practice is starting this afternoon uh, for our regular Sunday choir. I hope that you can come at 3.30. We're looking forward to that. And then tomorrow night, uh, we're starting practice for uh, Resurrection Cantata in April. And so I, I know tomorrow's a holiday, and uh, if you say, well, I already made plans, I'd like to be part of that choir, we, we understand. We kind of added it on as a kind of, just a head start, if you will. So if you're already out of town or whatever, or you're at families, that's fine. We're not trying to take away a, a holiday from you or anything like that. We just thought, well, go ahead and get started because we can, and it'd be good to get back and, and get some, some rough edges knocked off. It's been a while, so... Come and bring some water with you and make sure you're ready to sing. And we'll have a great time tomorrow night at 6.30, 6.30 p.m. And I, we typically are 7 o'clock for our practices, but we have some school kids that want to join, some of our high school kids and things. And so we thought, go a little bit earlier, get them home, make sure they get their homework done and get to bed and all the rest. And uh, so, so don't, don't be discouraged, young people. If you want to come be a part of the choir, we'd love to have you. Now, if, you, if you're saying... You know, I don't have a, I, I can't make that every Sunday commitment, but I'd like to be uh, in the resurrection cantata. That's okay. We, we would love to have you come just for those eight practices and then be a part of the resurrection cantata. And it'd just be something that you can participate in, but you're not able to be here every Sunday, we understand. And so that would be tomorrow night and come and, and be a part of that or next Monday or whatever. But we're so glad to be able to start those things back up. And as Cody was saying, buses next week, Sunday school as well. Don't forget, your connection group will be meeting in your Sunday school class at 9.45 a.m., all right? I, I don't know how many of you have been conditioned now to sleep in on Sunday mornings, but you have to set your alarm a little bit earlier next Sunday and be here at 9.45 for Sunday school. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the kids back in church again. That'll be wonderful to see all of them here. And, and uh, I, I got a call yesterday from Kyle. How many of you know Kyle? Kyle's one of our special people. And uh, he's part of Mrs. Fett's class, and uh, he calls just about every day, not quite every day. He always asks about Jessica. He likes to know when babies are coming. He likes, so he's always, how's Jessica? When's the baby being born? And he's asking a guy that, I don't know all those details all the time, but he, you know, we're men, right? But he asks, and then he says, how will we know? I said, we'll announce it in church. Okay. I said, by the way, Kyle, next Sunday, buses are running again. You'll be able to come to church. He went, wow! And then there was a big quiet time, and then he went, wow, didn't he? And my wife was listening in the car, and she just started tearing up. And just, hey, we take it for granted. We take it for granted sometimes. But he was so excited that, that he could come to church next week. So praise the Lord, and uh, you, you encourage Kyle when he comes. It'll be a blessing. So, and if you're expecting a child, he will chase you around and want to know every detail because he loves babies. But anyway, let's look in the Bible today, Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1, and uh, you know, sometimes, I believe with all my heart, the Word of God has something for everyone, that it addresses every life situation. But I have been in services, honestly, where they'll be preaching a message, and I will think, okay, well, this really doesn't apply to me. And I'm sure you've been there. And, and sometimes there's principles that we can draw out of that. And especially if it was a, a message directed to ladies. 
something like that. You know, I've been to teen or youth meetings and I think, okay, this is great for the kids, but I'm kind of past that stage of life. And, and uh, I've uh, heard, you know, messages that are maybe uh, for older folks or grandparents and things. And I think, well, that's, that's not quite for me. I'm getting there. But there, then there's those very specific ones, isn't there? And, I, and I'm glad. I, I'm gonna, I'm, this sounds a little bit carnal, but I love it. I love it when those kids were mocking Elisha about his bald head and those bears came out and ate him. I like that. Now, it's carnal, but here, amen, Brother Hilton. But, but here's the thing that I can take from that. God doesn't like you insulting his children. He takes it very seriously. About a mocking spirit. So there's a greater principle that we can all draw from that rather than look at the specific. But this morning's message is not like that. This morning, I believe in my heart, it's for everybody. Every last one of us. We're going to look at the tribe of Levi. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know about that. And, and, but I, want you to, I just want you to pay attention and listen. Don't tune me out because you think, well, this is a very specific time in history. And it's about a very specific group of people, the priestly tribe, those that were called to carry out the work of the tabernacle and later the temple. They were to serve under Aaron and Moses. And, and, and you, say, you might say, well, it just doesn't apply to me. I want you to hang in there because I want you to see how it does and how vastly important it is that we understand that it does. So let's look at Numbers chapter 1. We'll read our text today, and then we will we'll pray, and we're going to look at a couple different scriptures as we go this morning. But Numbers chapter 1, and look, if you will, at verse 42. Now, the first several verses, we're only going to read for context through about verse 46, and then we will not refer back to them, but it'll just help us understand what is going on here. And then in verse 47 on will be our text today. But look at verse 40. Of the children of Naphtali... Throughout their generations, after their families, by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names, from 20 years old and up, upward, all that were able to go forth to war, those that were numbered of them, even of the tribe of Naphtali, were 50 and 3,400. These are those that were numbered, which Moses and Aaron numbered, and the princes of Israel, being 12 men, each one was for the house of his father. So they're numbering Israel, and that's why it's called the book of Numbers. And it wasn't necessarily numbering them just to know how many people we have, but they were numbering specifically in the tribes, those who were 20 and older, young men who were able to go and fight a war. And so of the tribe of Naphtali, they had 53,000 that fell into that category from 20 years and older young men. Now, now think about that. that. That makes these tribes humongous, doesn't it? There's a lot of people, if we were to account for everybody that was in the tribe of Naphtali, and some of the other tribes were different numbers as well. So look at verse 44. These are those that were numbered, which Moses and Aaron numbered, and the princes of Israel being 12 men, each one was for the house of their fathers." So were all those that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their fathers from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war in Israel. Even all they that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,550. Now, I don't know how that would extrapolate. I don't know how we take that 600,000 and, and say, well, this is how many there are in Israel. Some have said probably 3 million. And I would say that that would likely be a reasonable estimate, just looking at the number of the young men that were able to go to war. Now, understand, they've, they've, they've numbered 12 tribes, but there's actually 13. 
We talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, but Levi was never numbered among those tribes. You'll remember the sons of Joseph were broken into two tribes. And so now we have Levi. Notice what it says in verse 47. But the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. So normally when somebody says the 12 tribes of Israel, they are not talking about Levi. Levi was set apart for a special service. Look at verse 48. For the Lord had spoken unto Moses, saying, Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel, but thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony. And over all the vessels thereof, and over all things that belong to it, they shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it, and shall camp round about the tabernacle." And when the tabernacle setteth uh, forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard throughout their hosts. The Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony, that there be no more wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, we pray, to follow the word today, that you would strengthen us with it. Lord, help us to see the application Lord, it's so important that we understand who we are in Christ Jesus, and the Old Testament is such a good picture of the new. Lord, as we weave our way through scriptures and make our way to the new, we pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes. May the Spirit of God do his work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I need your help. I'm trusting you to fill me, and I pray, Lord, that conviction would fall upon our hearts. God, help us not to come to church and leave doing nothing again. Lord, help us to be changed and made more like Jesus. So, Father, speak, we pray. Move in our midst. Lord, whatever you want to take place in this place today, we surrender all. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting if we were to take these 12 tribes plus the tribe of Levi, and to take a representative from each, the head of each of those tribes, and stood them in front of the church today, it's very likely that the tribe of Levi would jump out from amongst the rest. Not because ethnically they looked any different, they were brothers, after all. But because God had put his hand upon them in such a way that they were to dress differently. Their job would be different. Some of the other men would have scars of war upon them, but not the tribe of Levi. Their job was to minister in the tabernacle of the congregation. Their job was to serve God day and night. That meant that if they woke up in the morning, they would put on a certain linen garb that that would distinguish them from the rest. If they were higher up in the priesthood, they would have tassels and things identifying who they were and what they were to be performing. If they were selected for that time in their life where they would serve in the holy place or uh, at the table of showbread or to, to keep the lamp lit or whatever they were to do, they would dress even differently again. Even though they were not men of war, many of them might have blood upon their garments from the work of the sacrifice. The Bible says the high priest would drain that blood into a bowl and he would take his finger 
And he would walk around in the court of the Gentiles and he would throw that blood everywhere. And all those priests would come out bloody at the end of the day. There's some that would be dirty from, the Bible talks about the the hand of a fit man that would drag those goats and those calves to the altar to be slaughtered. There'd be those that would have to bind them and they'd be filthy. If, If you've worked with animals at all, you know that they're often dirty creatures. And especially in Israel, they're not coming out of a sterile barn. And so they would bear the marks of their separation unto God. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at their lives a little bit today and we see what God has called them to. And I want you to notice, first of all, that God had called them to a higher plane. A higher plane. The title of my message this morning is just simply this. A higher plane, a holy purpose, and a heavenly perspective. I want you to draw your attention to the fact that that's what the the tribe of Levi was called to. Those three things. And yet, in the New Testament, and I will show you through Scripture today, that every one of us are called to the same. Every one of us are called to live on a higher plane. We not Listen, I don't want you to walk around the community and with your head up and your nose up in the air thinking you're there any better than anybody else. We're sinners saved by grace. But friend, we are called to live differently. We are called to come out from among them and be separate from the world. We are called to touch not the unclean thing. And, and so God has put a requirement on our lives. And, and by the way, to whom much is given, much is required. And he expects the children of God to live holy lives because Christ is holy. And it's he that lives within us. And so we are called, and we see the Levites are called to live on a higher plane. I want you to notice, first of all, commenced with a choice. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. You say, why was the tribe of Levi chosen? And and the Bible, honestly, I'm going to be very honest with you, does not give us a clear reason why God chose Levi. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 8 that God had chosen the firstborn that came out of every womb, that they would belong to his, that they were given to him, they they belonged to God. And so we see that in the Exodus... It was the firstborn that God passed over of every family. They belonged to him. There was a sacrifice made for the firstborn. But in Numbers chapter 8, it talks about how the tribe of Levi will take the place of the firstborn. And so I want you to notice, uh, as we look in Exodus chapter 32, turn there. Exodus chapter 32, I got talking and didn't turn, so here we go. Exodus chapter 32, verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. You say, what is going on? You'll remember that Moses went up into the mountain to receive the, the law of God. And God said to him, you better get back down there because the people have gone astray. And so when they came down, Aaron says, I hear the sound of war in the camp. And Moses says, no, no, that's not war. God told me what that is. That's reveling and partying and they're worshiping a false god. And, and Moses came down and, and he, he, uh, God began to judge the people. And you'll notice here, that's where we pick up the story, verse 26. And then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Notice what it says. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. He said, well, they were the priestly tribe. Not yet they weren't. These were just one of the sons of Jacob. 
These were a, a group of people that said, no, we're not going to follow a false god. We're going to follow the true God. We're going to worship Jehovah. And they made the choice that day to step over onto the Lord's side. And though the scripture is not clear, I believe with all my heart that this reason God put his hand upon the tribe of Levi, and by the way, they were not the oldest tribe, We see in the Bible that God says in Numbers 8, and we're going to look at that next turn there, if you will, Numbers chapter 8, that God took the tribe of Levi to replace the firstborn, but he was not the firstborn. I believe God chose him because they made a choice. You say, is that really how God chooses his people? Can I say many times our choices either qualify us or disqualify us from serving God? Now, you can make good choices down the road, and you can repent of your sin, and you can get your heart turned back to God, and God can use you again. The Bible says that in any house, there are vessels of silver and gold and and wood. And listen, but he says, it doesn't matter what they're made of. It's whether or not they're a vessel of honor or dishonor. I, I usually like to put it this way. It's not about composition. It's about consecration. It's not whether or not you are made of the right stuff or you have the right gifts or the right talents. It's whether or not you have given your heart fully to the Lord. Numbers chapter 8 reinforces this thought. Now look there with me. Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Now we'll read a few verses here and you'll see what I'm talking about. Numbers chapter 8, verse 8. Then let them take a young bullock and his meat offering, even uh, fine flour... Mingled with oil, and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering. And thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together. And thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the assembly of the, or the service of the Lord. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks, and thou shalt offer the, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. By the way, the Levites were not perfect. A sin offering still had to be offered. God was aware that they were not a perfect people. They were a sinful people. And so a blood sacrifice still had to be given when he consecrated them to pull them apart for service. And Aaron... Verse 11, shall offer Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel that they may execute the service of the Lord. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks and thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for the Levites. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto the Lord. Thou shalt separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. And after that shall the Levites go in to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they, listen, verse 16, for they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel. Instead of such as wompen every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel, have I taken unto me. So previously, God said, the firstborn, the one that opens the womb, the first child born in that home shall be given unto me, but not anymore. He says it'll be the Levites. Why? Because they are wholly given unto me. I believe he looks back to Exodus chapter 32, when Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And notice the language in Exodus chapter 32. It says, all 
all the Levites. Every last one of them. They said, we are on the Lord's side. Is it any wonder God would put his hand upon them? We sang this morning, I surrender all. But have you? Is God using you? You can say that you have faith. The Bible says, can you show me your faith by your works? Is God using your life? You say, well, how do you define that? I can't define that. I can't define that by a finite set of rules and say, well, you know, they, they show up for, uh, they, they serve in a Sunday school class, so God is using them. Because by the way, there's people that serve in Sunday school classes God is not using. It's not about necessarily the works of our hands. It's about a spiritual labor. Did you catch that? A lot of us are busy for the Lord with our hands. But is God actually blessing and using it? I'm going to be honest with you. One of the hardest things for me is that you can study and you can pray and you can preach and you say, God, is it having any effect? Is anybody listening? Because something you preach against Sunday night, Sunday morning, it blows up all over. You think, were they even listening? It wasn't me speaking. The scripture is very plain. This is what God says. Did I not pray enough? Was I not spirit-filled? Did God want me to preach something else completely? And humanly speaking, we want to be productive for God. But the truth is, far more important than being productive in the eyes of man is being successful spiritually and being able to say, God is using that person. By the way, that's not something I think you can assess for yourself. I think the moment you say, well, wow, God is really using me, I think he's going to stop. Because God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. There's just certain people that you can just see. I, when I, when I, the first, you know who popped in my head when I'm saying this? Dr. Sisk. Dr. Don Sisk. He just went to a gospel sing a little while ago. And uh, Greater Vision was hosting a hymn sing. And you know who I'm talking about. Gerald Wolf was leading the singing. And, and uh, after one of the singers got a picture with Dr. Sisk because he said, we noticed this missionary of 60 years sitting on the front row and he wept with every song, every hymn. God just stirred his heart and moved. But when I get around him, it's just always a blessing. He's one of those guys you can go and say, I just want to go encourage Brother Sisk and you come away feeling encouraged. Because God uses him. And there's people like that in our lives, aren't there? But it's not something, if I were to say to Brother Sis, do you know, has God used you? He'd probably say, oh, Brother Fury, you don't know the things going on in my heart. See, when God uses, there's a humility. The Levites were chosen. And I believe it's because God, God used them because they gave themselves wholly to God. Holy to the Lord. 
So it commenced with a choice. Look back at Exodus chapter 32. I want you to notice, first of all, their choice was a spiritual one. Their choice was a spiritual one. Look at Exodus chapter 32 and verse 29. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brothers, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Notice, in order for God to to call upon the tribe of Levi, he had to say this to them, Consecrate yourself. If I'm going to use you, if I'm going to set you apart for this service, I need you to have a holy life. I need you to consecrate, to come apart from the world. I I need you to be fully dedicated to me, not not just in lip service, not just in showing up for your service, not just in the work of your hands, but I need your heart. I need you to make a sacrifice of atonement. You, you will see that, that in a moment there, that they would also have to shave every hair off their body and do a ritual bath because it was a significant to show how clean they were on the outside. But God says you have to consecrate your heart. It was a spiritual choice, but it was also a serious choice. Notice what it says in the next verse. Or back up, sorry, verse 27. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. He said, wow, if he was to slay everybody that was involved in this Baal or this calf worship, it might have been more than 3,000. And, and what is it trying to say here? And I, I had to kind of research that myself. And, and the commentators believe that God said to, Mo, uh, to, to the Levites, I need you to slay all the ringleaders. You'll notice he said, go gate to gate. And the gate is the place of each tribe. And who is standing at the gate? Who is the one that is, that, is, that is leading their people to do this? And he says this, it doesn't matter if they're a brother or a friend. You need to slay them. The choice to serve God was a spiritual one, but it was a serious choice. The Bible says in the New Testament, if we're going to serve God, we have to crucify our affections and our lusts. We have to take up a cross and follow him. We have to be willing to give our all to die. The Israelites were called to live on a higher plane, and I, I want to suggest to you today that it commenced with a choice. Number two, it continued with a calling. Lotus Numbers chapter 1, back in our, our text this morning, Numbers chapter 1 and verse 50. They made a choice. But I believe that because of it, God called them. And notice, notice what it says in verse 50. We're not going to spend much time here, but I want to make the point for you. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony. They, they didn't jump up and say, hey, we are the ones that stood with Moses, and we are the ones that are worthy to serve God. Instead, God says, no, Moses, you appoint them. Is a holy calling. And so we see that they were called to live on a higher plane. They commenced with a choice and it continued with a calling, but it was also confirmed with a curse. Verse 51, and when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites 
shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And listen to this, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Look at verse 53. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel. So what is he saying? The Levites had a holy calling. And God said, it is your job to do the work of the tabernacle. When we move that tabernacle, when we pull up the stakes and we load up the tent, it will be your job. You'll remember that it was Gershom and Moriah and those that would carry the things of the tabernacle. It was their job. The priests would carry the ark upon their shoulders. That was uh, Koath, the sons of Koath. But they were all of the tribe of Levi. And he says, the stranger that comes and tries to help will surely be put to death. He said, well, I understand that. We don't want any Malachites doing it. He wasn't talking about the Amalekites. He was talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. It was not their calling. And they were not to take unclean hands. You see, in order to serve the Lord like this, the Levites had to consecrate themselves continuously. They had to live a holy life, not just be holy for a season. They were set apart unto God. And if they were going to serve God properly, it was their hands that must touch those holy things. And so anybody else was not allowed to touch it. As a matter of fact, it's confirmed in verse 53, when they set up the camp, all the tribes of Israel would work their way all the way around the tabernacle to where God told them to go, three on each side of that tabernacle. But the tribe of Levi would be all around the tabernacle. Why? To protect the congregation from the wrath of God. Well, I think there's a good principle there. When God gets a hold of a life, and a life is completely and wholly given to the Lord, they get to live closer to his presence. Are we willing to surrender like that and give ourselves wholly to the Lord? They were called to live on a higher plane. It was commenced with a choice. It continued with a calling. It was confirmed with a curse. But I want you to notice, secondly, they were called to live on a higher plane, but they were called to live with a holy purpose. A holy purpose. You see, when God took their lives and chose them because of the decisions that they had made to live godly, God gave them a purpose that echoed that higher plane that they were living on. They were fit for the service of God. I want you to notice, first of all, if you'll turn to Numbers chapter 8, we're going to look at that a little bit now. Numbers chapter 8. Well, notice, first of all, it was required that they were symbolically cleansed. The Bible says in verse 5 of Numbers chapter 8, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them, and thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them, and let them shave all their flesh, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. There was an outward cleansing required. Can you imagine a people that were wandering in the wilderness, how dusty and dirty they must be? Several years ago... We were down in Arizona, and uh, we went to a place called Tombstone. Does that sound exciting? Uh, Josh and Bella were making fun of me the other day because I showed them where I grew up, and they said, you live beside a graveyard? I said, quiet neighbors, amen. 
But we went to this place called Tombstone. And you guys know what happened to Tombstone. Some of you gentlemen will know. Amen? We, we like that kind of stuff. And so I, I dragged my wife down there and, and uh, we went. We had a good time though. And they've kept that town like it was in 1880. There's, there's no sidewalks. It's all wooden boards along the sides. And it's a dirt road. They don't let cars down that road at all. You have to park and walk through the town. There's a mine there. Uh, there's different things. Uh, there's, there's literally a theater there, and it's got bullet holes on. they still got bullets in them. They said, that's from the shootout at the OK Corral. And at noon, these guys come out. And they'll stand in the middle of the street. We're sitting there having lunch, and we hear this racket, and we look out, and there's these guys in black coats, and they're yelling, you lily-livered, you know, and they're insulting each other. And they're challenging them to a gunfight. It's just Old West. But every place we went, people were wearing these things called dusters. You know what I'm talking about? Those long coats that you'd wear. And they went right down to their ankles, and, and these cowboys would wear them when they rode the horse because... And so they get off their horse and they take that coat off and their clothes would be clean, but their face would be filthy. And when I saw that, I got thinking, boy, imagine the Israelites for 40 years walking around. How dirty they must have been. But the Levites were to be clean. It was a symbol of their separation unto God. Others could walk around looking dirty, but not, not the Levites. You can make the applications all you want here. But when God got a hold of the people that were wholly given unto them, some things changed in their life. Their appearance changed. Their vocation changed. They were to be clean before God. Yes, it was symbolic, but it was to show to everybody else in Israel that they were different. That they stood out from the crowd. So it was required that they were symbolically clean, but look at, at the next verse. It was required that they were spiritually clean. The Bible says there in verse 8, Then let them take a young bullock and his meat offering, even fine flour with oil, and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children together. And I'm not going to read it because I've already read it once, but they would offer an offering unto God, a sin offering, and then people would lay their hands upon them, and they would pray over them for atonement. They weren't just to be symbolically clean, they were to be spiritually clean. Listen, if we want to be used of God, we have to be clean. I told you before, you said, well, I'm not a silver vessel or a gold vessel, I'm just a vessel of wood. It don't matter as long as you're a clean vessel. Surrender to God to be used of God. And sometimes we compare ourselves because we see the silver and the gold and we think, well, I'm just wood or I'm something else, I'm clay. I don't have the gifts or the talents of that person teaching or doing that. Hey, it doesn't matter. Are you clean? It's amazing what God can do with clean vessels. Not only clean, they had to be empty. You can't put anything else in a vessel that's full already. Sometimes we're full of self, full of sin. I know people that are full of shame. Can't let go of the past. It's hard for God to fill that vessel because of the shame they carry. Oh, would to God that he make us worthy to be used. They had a holy purpose in their lives. It required that they were spiritually clean. But it also required, listen, I think this is important. 
it was required that they serve the congregation. Now, maybe your ears perked up for a minute, but it's not what you think. Notice what it says in verse 15. And after that shall the Levites go in and do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. There's a lot of times in the Bible where the tabernacle is called the tabernacle, or it's called something else, similar. But in this instance right here, it's called the tabernacle of the congregation. And I believe there's a purpose for that. God has no idle words. And all scripture is given by inspiration. I believe he's saying that the Levites would serve in the tabernacle, but in effect they're serving the congregation. They say, well, isn't that wonderful? That means they ought to, they ought to do what, what the congregation wants. No, they ought to do what God wants. They ought to do what God wants. It was a call to obedience. In other words, the best way that the Levites could serve the congregation was to obey God. Numbers chapter 1, verse 50, God begins to lay out. He says, and they shall carry the vessels, and they shall move the tent, and they shall carry out the ministry of the work. That was their job. The greatest thing we can ever do to serve people is simply obey God. And you say, why are you saying that? Listen, I'm not trying to pontificate or say, listen, uh, we're just going to do what's best for you, and you better like it or lump it. And, and sometimes people say, hey, pastor, would you preach a message on this? And I'm happy to if the Lord lets me. I want to help. But sometimes we have people who come and say, well, we, we need to change the direction of the congregation, and we need to, hey, how about we just do what God wants? How about we obey the Scripture? I've got this new great idea, Pastor. I'm sure we'll get people in the auditorium and fill the seats. Listen, if we want to build a crowd, we can build a crowd, but we're trying to build a congregation for God. We can draw people. That's not a problem. We're not interested. We want to obey God. And if he is high and lifted up, he'll draw all people unto himself. We preach Christ. I've had, I just, it's just an illustration. I'm not hurting or sad about this, and I don't want you to pity me in any way. But we've had people angry. Well, how come you're not preaching on vaccines? And how come you're not preaching... Because we preach Christ crucified. That is the purpose of the church. And I, I, I hesitate to even bring that up because my prayer this morning was, God, when we walk through those doors today and the door closes behind us, could we leave all the junk of the world out there? Could we come in here and sing your praises? Could we come in here and preach Christ? Could we elevate the gospel? He said, well, but our country's in a mass preacher. The answer's Christ. The answer's prayer. I sent out an email this week, and you perhaps saw it. If my people, which are called by my name, hey, Israel was in a mess. And the people of God were upset and said, God, when are you going to take care of this wicked king? He says, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. Wait, wait a minute. No, I'm not the problem. God says, oh yeah. Humble yourselves. Turn from your wicked ways. That implies that the judgment of God was on the nation because of the people of God and their sin. We need to be wholly given to the Lord. Consecrated unto him.
You say, well, I, I'm upset with the government. Well, let me, let me tell you this. The answer's never been in the government. Never. Take the godliest leader you've ever known, and, and, and the answer's not in him. It's in God. Pray to him. Seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. That's where the hope is. So the Levites were called to live on a higher plane. They were called to live with a holy purpose. They obeyed God's commands and their obedience gave God's protection. They were the ones around the tabernacle. And that protected the rest of the congregation from God's wrath. We read that in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. Listen. Not everything that comes in the name of the Lord is biblical or right or godly. Right? Matthew chapter 7 says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth thy will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, that work iniquity. Again, it's not about what you're doing. It's about your heart. The Levites were wholly given to the Lord. And because of it, they had a higher purpose, a holy purpose. We see that they lived on a higher plane. They had a holy purpose. But I want to say, thirdly, they had a heavenly perspective. And I'm going to be honest. When I say this, I'm done. I know it doesn't always sound right, but I am. They had a heavenly perspective. Everything they did... Think about every, every sacrifice. What was it about? It was about Christ. They may not have known that at the time, but every feast pointed to Jesus. Every sacrifice would one day point to a lamb that would come sinless and perfect and spotless and take away the sins of the world. Everything they did had a heavenly perspective. It was reflected in what they did, but it was also Reflected in where they dwelt. Where did they live? They lived right up in the presence of God. Around The tabernacle was the visible representation where God lived on earth. That's where he would meet with his people. There was the holy of holies where God's glory would come and rest upon the mercy seat. That was the place. That was the place. They had a heavenly perspective. Let me give you this and we're done. I want to give you a helpful principle. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I told you to listen. You say, well, I can tune all this out because it's the tribe of Levi. That was a different dispensation. That was a God working in a way with his people very different than today. Let me see if you can pull the application out of this. As we look at a helpful principle, 1 Peter chapter 2. Read one verse with me, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just go to the last part of that verse. Has God called you from darkness to light? 
that he's talking to you. And you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar people. That's what we are. And in the Old Testament, that's the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, the royal priesthood. They were a peculiar people. Like I said, if you put them up here in a row, you, you could pick out who was of the tribe of Levi. He dressed differently. He had no hair on his arms or his body. He was shaven to be symbolically clean. He didn't wear about all the dust of wandering in the wilderness. He was to keep himself symbolically clean. He had a spiritual life. We are the royal priesthood. They were a chosen generation taken out from among the tribes of Israel to serve God. We are a chosen generation. The Bible says so. If you didn't see the application before, I implore you to see it now. Child of God, we are to live on a higher plane because God has given us a holy purpose and it comes from having a heavenly perspective. Would to God that we would Take that seriously. I'm not, listen. The Bible says that to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we can't entangle ourselves with the affairs of this world. I I understand. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a thing. I'm just going to ask you to do this. Don't don't come in here and tell me to preach about it. We're going to obey God. We're going to preach Christ. I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I don't care. I've learned that I don't even, I've pulled out messages that I preached 20 years ago and I look at them and I don't even agree with myself half the time. That's okay. We're supposed to grow. That's okay. But when I come in the house of God, I want to meet with a holy people that have a holy purpose, a heavenly perspective. That's what God has called us to do. I I hope and pray that you can get up and say, you know what, I want to go to church because it's refreshing. It's so different than the stuff going on out there. I want it different. It lifts my spirit, encourages my heart. It points me back to Jesus. Years ago, you know what it means when a preacher closes his Bible, right? Absolutely nothing. Years ago, my grandfather had an ice fishing hut out at St. Williams. And we'd, we'd go out frequently, I guess. And back then, you'd drive right out, right out to it. And my dad had a compass on the dash. And it was one of those bubble ones, not digital like today. You know what I mean? And the thing turned, and kids might not know. But it was in the globe kind of thing set up there. And it'd tell you what direction you're going. And I remember coming out of that ice fishing hunt after a couple hours and going over to the truck. And I looked at Dad and I said, Dad, you can't see shore in any direction. How are we going to get back? He said, the compass. He says, I just, he says, when, when I parked, he says, I parked pointing towards shore. And he says, the compass is marked already what direction the shore is. I think sometimes 
And we did. We drove and went real careful because you didn't know if it was cracking the ice or something. But we got back to shore. I think we come to church because we need our compass reset once in a while. Get us pointed back towards heaven, back towards Jesus. Well, the world can weigh you down, can it? We need that compass to be reset. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called out, different than the world. Help us to live for you. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray folks today would take this message today in the spirit in which it was given. I'm not here to fight anybody, argue anybody about their personal viewpoints. I just want us to come in here and be focused on you. I want us to be, have an impact in the world. Help us to help lost people find Jesus. We can't do that if we're just like them. Lord, I pray that you'd reset our compass today. Help us to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, who was willing for the joy set before him to endure the suffering and the shame of the cross. Lord, there's a bigger picture. And I pray that you'd help us to pursue you with all of our hearts. Father, bless us, we pray. Speak to us during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Daniel's going to play. and the Altars open if God has spoke to your heart.